Hey everyone, this is episode 20 of the Creator's Life podcast. In this episode, I talked to Nick McGowan. He is a self-mastery coach for men with a background in sales and marketing. Uh, In this episode, we talk about leadership in the 21st century, how much leadership has changed since the 20th century and the more factory uh, floor model of managing workers, whether that's uh, in a blue collar or white collar job. Uh, We also touch on Uh, the topic of self-awareness and how that plays a part in the creative professional's life and his or her hers ability to go further and grow within their career. Um, We talk about destructive patterns that we might have throughout our lives based on trauma we face in the past. And if it's possible to break these vicious cycles without having to go to rock bottom uh, to be able to uh, chart a new path forward for ourselves. So take a listen. Um, I think that you'll enjoy um, our conversation. We really was able to dive deep into his life and the challenges that he's faced with his trauma and heroin addiction and how he was able to overcome it. Um, It gets quite, quite personal. So um, hopefully you can take something away, something away from this conversation. leadership has changed throughout the years yeah um, it's interesting isn't it very interesting because uh since i've so I'm, I'm upstate right now at my at my mom's place and i've been looking at her books on leadership and these are books from uh i want to say anywhere from the early 80s to the mid 90s like kind of you have some around you can you rattle off some names <clears throat> oh man <clears throat> i can't remember the name of it actually I'll, I'll send it to you when uh we get off the the, the the episode but the way that they talk about it and teach it is is very much how you think of um that 90s style kind of um jack dorsey not jack dorsey jack welsh type management you yeah. know what i mean um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was very indicative of that point in time where you know as far as historical historical context coming out of the industrial revolution and then a lot of jobs going away during um, a lot of uh, offshoring overseas in terms of industrial jobs and then industrial jobs just going away as a result of, of technology too. Um, by the time you get to like the late early and early nineties and a lot of the office space culture that is established, you know, um, and the way the type of management that is needed for that very much, it's very much like foreman factory management Sure. And yeah, it was an elevated version of it. Yes. With suits. That's a good way to say elevated version of a foreman factory management. And then as time goes on and as the complexities increase within um, the Internet and like moving from Web 1.0 to Web 2.0 and then now going into Web 3.0, um, the digital economy, what's needed from managers and leaders is that much more different, especially when I, I, I'll come to it from the space of being a creative professional. You know, mm-hmm. this happens across professions, but I guess my lens of view is creative professionals. So I guess with that, if you could introduce yourself and then you can, I'd love to hear your reaction to How that. How do we jump from that to an introduction <laughs> to me? <clears throat> um, really, I want to dive into that, but I, I guess the best way for me to dive into that is by introducing myself. So mm-hmm. I'm Nick McGowan. Uh, most days you're going to find me running sales for a the consumer products division of a 3D content development company. 
Uh, and outside of that, I'm a coach that works with men specifically on their mindset and self-mastery. Um, the question that you just brought up of how do we, from what I'm understanding, <clears throat> how do we basically manage the leadership styles now with everything that's going on? Was that about it? Yes. First though, could you, from your point of view, how do you look at the styles of management from um, kind of a 20th century model to where management go, is going in the 21st century? Well, look, I think you and I, Cliff, are similar in the sense that we look at everything from a creative's eye. <clears throat> and that creative is different to everybody. So there are people that are creatives that are UI, UX designers. There are creatives that are copy. There are creatives that are sales. There are creatives that are storytellers, all of that. And I think at the core of the people that are the creatives, we're able to look at things a little differently and be able to kind of take those chunks and say, all right, well, what's the best way to go about this? And I think if you've got the style of the creative in general and being able to look at the box, the outside of the box, around the box, ask what's inside the box, what goes inside the box, what could go inside the box? Can I put water in the box? Can, you know, what, all those sort of things and ask all those questions. I think if you look at that and then look at leadership and where we're at with technology, everything has been disrupted. So with COVID kicking in, uh, basically everybody in high gear of how do we get people to work from home and so many options for people. Leaders at this point need to be flexible, but you still need to trust people at the core. Of it. So even if you go back and read some of the books from the 80s, the 90s, all the way back, I mean, God, if you go back to like uh, Marcus Aurelius and, and Seneca, all the way back to Stoic, if think of it, it all boils down to being at that point, I don't mean to say everything boils down to this, but it's, you got to be authentic mm -hmm. and you've got to understand and respect other people. So, you know, I, it's funny because I've got a couple people that are part of my, my team with the company I work with that are of the older generation that have been through all of the, like we were just talking about with the eighties and the people in the offices and like how they had to manage the factory line, <clears throat> but the factory line machines were people are like, we need you to do these things and you need to do them over and over. And I think sales and how slimy they were in some ways, you know, just trying to get deals done because it was a factory line because you need to do those things. Where now it's completely different. Um, <clears throat> I think even in sales, and it's easy for me to come at it from a sales perspective as a creative because I think I'm in that so often and so much that I'm always thinking of what would I want and how would I want to talk to somebody? Because if I can be the biggest jerk in the entire world or analyze something and look at something from that perspective, I think even if you think of like cold calls, salespeople don't really make cold calls at this point. If I get a call from somebody's phone number that I don't know, nine times out of 10, I'm not going to pick it up. Yeah. And if I do right off the bat, I'm like, what do you want? You know, <laughs> so there are different times where even calls will come through that I don't have the number built in and it's a client or something like that. I'm like, hello, this is Nick. Thanks for calling, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, it's, you know, those things were, we're not, we're not privy to anymore. We're back in the day, again, back in the eighties, it was dialing for dollars in a sense. So if you think of that management style, they had to do that. They had to manage those people. Now it's about managing the expectations and the results. You got to be able to trust your people. So I'd mentioned I have a couple of people in my organization that are of the older generation. And I think they've done a great job of not over micromanaging 
and setting expectations and being communicative where they themselves are like, I need this thing from you and I'm not exactly sure how to get it from you without mm-hmm. bothering you about it X amount of times. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do about this? You know, that's, that's a good conversation to be able to have and go, oh, well, realistically, I work from home. So even if I'm not on at whatever o'clock, you can almost guarantee we're on at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock or what have you. And I think of all the creatives that do that, that are creative and working on their stuff. It's a project and you're working through your project. So I think leaders at this point, hopefully, are starting to understand that you can't really micromanage those people and you have to respect the people you bring in. Um, I think of like the old adage, have you ever heard this? Hire slow, fire fast. Mm. No, I haven't. I probably read it in one of those 80s, you know, leadership books. It was like, that makes total sense. Like if you really think about um, hiring slow and taking your time to bring the right people in, then you've got the right people in. So if they're not the right fit, you can be like, look, 30 days, 40 days in, whatever. I don't think this is working. Here's why. And you can kind of cut your ties because you thought you made the right decision. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a big proponent of that, or I'm a big proponent of like making time to make sure that you get the right people in. So when you have those creatives, you understand more about them and what their background is, what they're into. I mean, you can see I've got music stuff around books, geeky, you know, Rick Sanchez and Tardises and things of that sort. Understanding what your people are into and what they care about allows you to manage those people better and be able to be real with them, you know? I think that's one of the keys when it comes to the difference between the last generation and this one in terms of management is like really giving a a damn about um, what this recruiter called uh, one day when I was doing an interview, the KPIs of of your people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That was one of the most interesting questions I've ever had in an interview. And it actually kind of, it stumped me the way that he put it. Um, Not that I hadn't been thinking about those things, but in that moment, it was like, huh, I never thought about someone putting it that way. And I think that, and this is a conversation that I've had with, uh, with peers in the, in the creative industry. Um, what are the KPIs of people? And you basically laid, laid them out. And there are some people within management where they, they honestly just don't really care about that because it, it, it's not tied to the quantifiable results of a project, you know, like in the sense of we, we were able to, do, to deliver on time and, um, you know, we were able to check box off of some type of asset delivery, delivery uh, list. But when you think about it another way, candidates, employees are empowered in a way they haven't been empowered in a very long time because of, you know, the mass of, of jobs that are out there. And also thinking about generationally, when it comes to millennials and Gen X, they, they have a different set of priorities. And if you're going to be able to maintain the best amount of talent that's out there, you have to be able to speak to what um, their, not just their interests are, but kind of uh, um, mm-hmm. things that they, they care about. Not that you have to completely change who you are, but uh, having Mindful a curiosity and, and openness to, to things of that yeah. nature. <clears throat> yeah. You got to be mindful of that. You know, I, I, I keep picturing like a, a Venn diagram of the generations and technology and how things have kind of overlapped. You know, as a millennial, <clears throat> um, I, I remember growing up with AOL and AIM and dialing into the internet and checking email and like just 
dumb stuff, you know, um, and how things are different because of that generation of where people are at. So even people that are Generation Z, not all of them have kids or families or are farther along into a career or what have you, because some of that is just time and experience, you know, like a 22 year old kid doesn't have a 10 year old under his belt. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't, should not as a 12 year old, you know, uh, but really think about like, they, they just don't have those sort of things. So I actually read something recently that was like, uh, people have to stop asking kids that get out of college to have five years experience of something that they literally just got out of college for. Yeah. Like they can't have any of that experience yet. That's, that's insane. Um, I think back to, uh, and there's a quick piece of my story, but um, when my wife and I first got married, I was starting a social media and digital marketing company with her, with her parents. They were my friends and that's kind of how the whole thing mixed together. But uh, when my wife and I first got married, I was still working at a corporate job and a couple months into the job, I was let go. So <laughs> how do you have that conversation with your wife? Like, Hey, what time are you coming home for dinner? By the way, I don't have a job anymore. You know, <laughs> it wasn't the most fun. Uh, but I told her, look, we're, we're just starting things off at the company. I'll go and try to get a job. And I tried to get different jobs. And I got all the way to this third interview with this one company I was all excited about. And they literally told me, Hey man, you are a great fit, but we're going to go with this guy because, um, because he's got a college degree. They really said and as the guy was, yeah, yeah. As wow. the guy was saying it, he was basically slowing down how I just did it. And I, I don't know, I, I guess I couldn't hold it, but I just started cracking up. <laughs> I just started laughing. I was like, really? Like that's the decision you're going to make? And then it started slowing down like, oh, I, I think he's kind of serious. Like, okay, so you're really going to hire somebody else just because they have, they've gone to college and they're in debt and now have a piece of paper? Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, yeah, it's policy. And at that point I was like, cool, man, hey, I appreciate your time. You know, I'm not going to burn a bridge or anything. It's like, I get it, wish you the best. And at that point, once I got off that call, I was like, game on. I'm going to go rock and roll with this company. And I spun it from there. Like I, I used that as fuel, you know, and I think some of that's in my blood. My dad is an entrepreneur. I've got many family members that are entrepreneurs. Um, my mom told me when I was a little kid, I could sell ice to an Eskimo, you know, ketchup to a ketchup popsicle, I think is what she said to a lady in a white uh, in a white dress with white gloves. I always thought that was the weirdest thing, but I was like, all right. Um, <clears throat> so being, uh, really being mindful of the sales side of everything and the psychological side of everything is important, I guess is what I'm kind of getting to and going off on a little tangent. <clears throat> no, that's great. When, when you talk about being aware of the psychological side, um, that is, that makes a lot of people extremely uncomfortable to have to uh, put that into their skill set, you know, to kind yeah. of understand um, psychologically how things affect people. And it's not just about come in, get your shit done and then leave. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is. Sometimes it very much is, but increasingly it's, it's not the case. Um, well, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree with you totally. I think even in that situation, when, when that guy had said, we're going to choose somebody else because they have a document, I took that and in my mind, I, I spun that into energy basically and said, okay, noted, got it. And I took that as, as I call them God nods, like God being like, Hey dude, you should do this thing. I'm like, all right, cool. Thanks. Like that sort of situation of being like, all right, perfect. Um, but able to take that 
and not get not get upset. You know, I got upset a little bit, but not let it beat me up and actually turn it into something. So as a mindset self-mastery coach, I mean, self-mastery is really just self-control. So being able to control yourself and be mindful of that. Like think about different situations where something dumb happens and you're like, oh, you just get irritated or pissed about it. How long do you let that bother you? You know, well, I, and I think you, I think you just <clears throat> uh, named the title of this episode to, to God nods. God nods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. Most definitely. Speaking of um, self, being a self mastery coach, um, when it comes to being a creative and self mastery, it's, it's not really something that they teach you. I'm not, I'm not even saying not really. They don't teach you that in college. You know, that's the one thing that the piece of paper doesn't give you. You have to kind of go to the school of hard knocks to figure that out. Um, I guess, can, could you talk about what got you to wanting to coach self-mastery? Because I feel like when it comes to progressing in a creative career or being a part of creative leadership, self-mastery is extremely important, important if you're interested in continually growing. I mean, not just in the creative field, but that's life in general. But yeah, speaking from as a creative from the creative field, that's something that interests me in particular. Sure. I'm, I would like to think that as a creative, we all continue to strive for things. We all continue to strive for a um, better version of the work that we do or to keep working on things. I mean, I think uh, myself as a musician, how many different jams I have that I've worked on for years and years and years, but I haven't fully released yet. Cause you know, it's not fully done, mm-hmm. but I know I can keep working on et cetera. And then that the perfectionism. things you put out. Yeah, exactly. But then there are also the things that you put out and you understand this is the piece and it's totally yeah. good. Um, but you can always go back to that and keep adding to it. So we can just keep building and building and building. I think as, as we continue to build uh, and understand that that's, Again, it ties with the psychological, the generational, and the technological side of all of this, where we're at right now. Like, we are the only people having this conversation that we could really have right now. People in 20 years will have different conversations. People 20 years ago had different conversations. They didn't talk about, like, we didn't have Zoom to even do this. You know, I remember (laughs) my dad showing me this giant monitor and a phone at one point. He was like, this is cool. We're going to be able to call people and look at them. But they got to basically spend like two grand to get this thing too. I was like, that's crazy. You know, sometime in the mid nineties, that's a whole different world at this point. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think with the psychological side of it and being really hyper aware of how we manage it ourselves will mm-hmm. allow us to be aware of how we interact with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, have you ever snipped at somebody because you're irritated about a project? Oh, of course. I mean, of course. not even knowing that it was about that I was going off, me going off was related to that. It was just yeah, it's kind of some type mm-hmm. of uh, pent up, pent up energy. But but yeah. I'm, I'm also wondering um, what what led you down a path to self mastery. I mean, I, I guess part of it was going through that situation you went through with that one job recruiter and being um, one of the stories for yeah. a, a college, I mean, for not having a college degree, but what else was that kind of motivator that you wanted to go down the self-mastery mm-hmm. uh, coach route? Yeah, I, I think uh, specifically the coach route was because I do this naturally. I have conversation with people naturally. Uh, every conversation I get into <clears throat> that's of value of, of some sense turns into something deeper. You know, I can have small talk and shoot the breeze with somebody quickly 
<clears throat> but I like to be able to get into deeper uh, conversations and find the depth because the stories of what has made people the way that they are is what makes them who they are at that moment. You know, so even to give you a contrast to the whole college thing, that guy told me that they weren't going to hire me because they didn't have a piece of paper. Remember when everybody sat in the counselor's office through 11th or 10th grade and they're going to be like, oh, well, we're going to figure out where we're going to put you in college and what you want to do and all that. Well, counselor said to me, um, pretty much, look, we can get you into art school or we can get you into music school. You're probably not going to make money in either, but you, which one do you want to do? And at that point, I checked out. I was like, well, I don't want to be a starving artist. I'd rather just at least slightly above starve, you know. Uh, growing up, I had a mom that <clears throat> worked three different jobs and I, I don't think really made tons and tons of money, but she did the best she could. But we, we were a lower middle class, maybe. And then my dad and his wife were upper middle class. So I had that kind of rich dad, poor dad scenario and being able to understand what both sides of that looked like. I didn't want to be on the, again, starving artist side. So at that point, I opted to not go to college and um, went into multi-level marketing. Like, it's funny. So I went into multi-level marketing, got into car sales, but I swear I'm not a jerk. Like, let me just start with all of that. Um, but I, I mean, needed to. Multi-level marketing and car salesman. Oh, that's... Boom, boom. One after <laughs> the other. But I, I needed to. So I was a punk kid in high school. Literally blue hair, piercings all over. Um, I was a skater and I went through stuff when I was a kid that was trauma and abuse uh, and a lot of it. And that led me to middle school where I had no idea where I was or who I was trying to be. And by the time I got into high school and early 20s, I just hated everybody and everything because I felt, I, I felt many different things, but in the short version of it, <clears throat> I just hated how everything happened when I was younger and felt like I was kind of slighted uh, by the hand that I was being dealt. And when I got into, when I basically left high school and didn't go into college, and I went the route of music. Uh, I had a semi-successful regional band and then everybody went off to college. So that ended. So at that point, I had to figure out what I do next. Um, <laughs> I overdosed on heroin at that point mm. <laughs> because I didn't know what else to do. Uh, I kind of laugh about it now, but I remember being in such a terrible spot and having no idea what I wanted to do with life, what I thought I could do. I wasn't in college. My band was no more. <clears throat> it was a rough, rough, rough spot. Um, I didn't die, obviously. And at that point, I remember another one of those little God nods looking up me like, all right, dude, so uh, I'm not dead. You must want me to do something else. What else should I be doing? And I started to actually look to see what else, what could I do? So my perspective for a solid portion of probably 12 to like 18 or 19 was just a terrible negative perspective. And I was just looking down the entire time. And then when I hit what that ground floor was, or at least what I thought was that ground floor, I could only look up. And when I started to look up, I started to see opportunities. Just like when you look for things to happen, guess what happens? That and other things. And you continue to build upon those. So when I got into that multi-level marketing company, I remember the first time I went in for a meeting to someone's house, I passed by some room that was like down some old basement steps that like turned. And I remember passing the room thinking that's where, that's where they're going to kill me. Like that's where I'm going to die. Like right down there, that's going to be the end of it. 
Because again, my attitude was I was just negative. And I was just looking down at those things. Uh, the whole multi-level marketing thing is totally cool. Like people that are into that, uh, totally cool. I think certain people have to go through certain things, just like how I think everybody needs to be uh, a bartender or wait staff at some point. Like you got to be front of house to deal with people, to understand how to deal with people. Because if you don't, you don't get it, you know? So um, when I got into that multi-level marketing company, that was my first step into really seeing other people that were either showing off that they were successful and then actually connecting with a certain amount of people that were actually good, genuine people that were positive and a good influence and started to show me some of those books from the 80s, from the 90s. And like, hey, kid, go home and read this thing. And I remember seeing some of them like I, I didn't really have much money. So I remember thinking like I, I want money and I don't want to be a starving artist. Right. So how do I make money? And I saw some guy in a $4,000 suit and a $150,000 car. And I was like, got to be friends with that dude. Like, hey, buddy, what you doing? You know, like, how do, how do I do what you've done? Uh, that wasn't my path in multi-level marketing, but that started me off that path of looking for something else and starting to look internally and getting back to my faith and being able to have deeper conversations with myself. Now, that was... 18, 19. Um, and here I am, 37. So there's been many things that have happened. Uh, <laughs> I've had a handful of different companies, uh, gotten engaged twice. Once of them was successful and not really kind of, I guess we got a divorce, but you know, moving on. Um, and being able to have all these hits and things that happen because there's crafting and curating that's happening and being totally fine with that. But me 10 years ago would not have understood that, you know, you've got to be broken. You got to be broken over and over and over again. <clears throat> I, not to get biblical or anything, but I think of like the vine and the branch. Like think of that signification of having to be pruned over and over, just like any sort of garden that you have. You can't just let it grow wild. You got to prune it. You got to go and you got to tend to it. And it's mental. So to that point, um, when those different obstacles come in, um, I think a lot of us get stuck in in our loops, right? And mm -hmm. one of the biggest obstacles that I face, and I think a lot of other creative professionals face, is being able being able to break out of that loop. And a lot of times, the answer is something that um, we don't like, you know, either within ourselves <clears throat> or sure something that we don't like um, that's going to force us to kind of have to change, change habits. Um, so what would be from your estimation, a way to kind of shorten the journey, the process to breaking, breaking out of the, those loops? Because I know, you know, I think for me, breaking out of a loop came down to, you know, it came down to losing everything and having to start from zero. Um, sure. I kind of wish that it didn't have to be that extreme, yeah. extreme to kind of sure. to wake One you up. That. But then, you know, life in in a sense is a series of continuously waking up to kind of bring it to Buddhist uh, Buddhist mm -hmm. mindset. But yeah, can you can you talk about how you think of breaking the loop, breaking this a vicious mm -hmm. cycle of kind of tripping over your own feet, getting in your own way? Yeah, that's a good question, Cliff. I think one of the biggest things is being not even the, one of the biggest things. It's the biggest thing. You got to be aware of it first. Um, 
you can think of situations that come to mind when we talk about this and being in that loop where you can think of, I remember being in some sort of loop and then I got out of it and I was out of that funk. And you can think back to that time now, but you're probably in something like that right now. There's something that's sort of dissonant right now and being mindful and figuring out what that thing is. So you'd mentioned like sometimes it's some, something inside of you or something outside that you don't want to deal with. Well, at that point, you're shutting it out and not dealing with it. So you have to deal with that first door to get through to the next door. It's kind of like a video game in a sense. I always think back to like, uh, you know, The Legend of Zelda. Like you'd get through some level and be like, oh God, I got to go all the way back and find the stupid key. Jeez. And you go find the key and you come back and you're totally good. <clears throat> so that sort of deal. Like you're still going to have to figure out how to get through that door, but you got to be mindful of that door first. So I, I play this sort of uh, a game in a sense where I think of when a trigger for me is when I'm not at peace or joyous because naturally I'm at peace and I'm joyous. I'm just kind of a geek and I talk a lot and, you know, obviously, and you know, can talk about tons of different things and just absolutely love life. But when I'm not there, and I'm aware of that, I know there's something wrong. And that's that first door. So you got to be mindful of your own space to be able to go, yeah, there's something off. And not like showing face, like if you think about being in an office or on Zoom calls, you show face, and then somebody goes, hey, you're not bubbly, what's wrong? They're like, well, I'm not normally bubbly, I hate everybody. Mm -hmm. Like those people are usually just putting on a face. But if you can be aware of what your natural state is, and when you're not in that state, be aware of that. And that takes some conditioning and work to get to it. And I'm not saying I'm a guru or anything of that sort. I can't just do it on command. But when I'm aware of it, I go, wait a minute, what is it? And then from there, I can understand like, oh, it was this thing. Or it was that. And sometimes it's not. <clears throat> you know, um, I read a book years ago called QBQ, The Question Behind the Question. Mm. And it's about questioning all these things which is great because growing up as a kid, I questioned everything. And I still do it as my late thirties where I'm like, well, why? Well, why? Mm -hmm. What about this? Why? Why? And they're like, you need to start asking why. <laughs> yeah. My, my, uh, I used to, I used to uh, <laughs> drive my mom crazy with that. Same. Yeah. But you're like, I need to know. So if you keep going back, you can get to the root of it. So for me, when I understand, when I get to the point where that I understand that I'm not at peace or joyous and there's something dissonant, I'll start to question myself. Well, what is it? What See, that's a that's a tough that's tough ground to hoe for most people, um, and I I'll put myself in there too because it took a while to figure out. Because when you start to dig dig up that dirt and go underneath, it becomes more and more uncomfortable with each level, mm -hmm. and to kind of open yourself up to that, that takes a a, a leap of faith, and then also. Um, it takes a lot of courage and it, it's very difficult to get to that point where um, you want to put yourself in that uncomfortable position. It's, it's just okay. easier to not, to not deal with that. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and you can, that will drive you to a, a ground that will drive you to where that floor is that you've reached where you have nothing else but floor because you've pushed everything else off because you were so afraid of that thing. So some people may need to hit that. They may need to hit that ground floor. Some people don't. Like you had said, like, well, I really wish it didn't have to go that way. Like it didn't have to be that way, but it kind of did. Like mm -hmm. realistically, 
it did. Because if it didn't, you wouldn't be who you are and what you are now. So yeah. in certain ways, like, and I get that, you can look back and you kind of think about like, well, maybe it shouldn't. But hindsight is always 2020. So if you look at that, that's actually helped you become better in decision making at this point because of those things that have happened to you. So I think for the people that don't understand uh, or haven't had that kind of <laughs> completely almost near death experience to wake them up, um, it's being aware of what your state is. And look, you don't have to do this all on your own. No, think about mentors, uh, coaches, guidance counselors, therapists, so uh, people that you can talk to, friends and family that are open. You know, I well, think that's... everybody should have a couple people that are super close, even if it's somebody that's in business and not a family member, just somebody that they can say, here's some things that I'm going through emotionally and need to be able to bounce some of these things off. So that's a, an important point because a lot of times the way we grow up um, in in a very individualist society, it's hard for us to kind of ask for help to bring somebody into our crap because we feel like um, it's private. And not to say that um, it's not private or you shouldn't feel like um, this is something that um, you shouldn't, that you, not to say that you shouldn't feel an embarrassment about it because that's kind of natural. But to the point of what you were saying, to be able to get through these things, to make, to, to have that be some type of individual um, leap or li individual lift, that's, ex that's extremely tough. That's like, you know, Atlas having the world on his shoulders, you know, that you need, you need help to be able to carry that load or be able it's very important to be able to get support and in, in a multitude of ways. And, and for myself, I've had to get to a place where I've been able to release the embarrassment about number one, whatever I'm going through or number two and number two, being able to seek out help for it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the more that you can unpack those sort of things, Sorry, the better, the more you can unpack those things, mm -hmm. the better. You know, to understand where you're at. And everybody goes through that. They're like, well, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to bring somebody else into this. Um, there are tons of excuses that we all give ourselves. Um, and it doesn't matter what excuses we give anybody else because it just boils down to what we give ourselves. And we stop ourselves from those things. So yeah, Cliff, you're right. 100% right. It is super tough. I mean, but the great thing on the other side is that um, you kind of lionize certain things that you're going through or uh, emotions and feelings related to what you're going through. And, uh, and I can only speak really from my experience when on the other side of those things, you start to realize that these aren't, th these things aren't unique to yourself. Many people through history have mm -hmm. gone through these things. Mm -hmm. So maybe in that sense, it, you get to a place where you, in an odd sense, take ego out of the equation when it comes to your own shit. And I think it's slightly comforting knowing that it's nothing new and that many people have gone through the same thing and it stops, it stops making it special. <laughs> I think the less special sure. you make it, the easier it is to accept that um, it's okay to, you know, seek out help for whatever you're going through. Yeah. I mean, even if we look at that gray area in between, I know I have something that I'm dealing with and asking for help. There are all those conversations internally, the sleepless nights, <clears throat> the anxiety, all of that stuff, where I think it boils down to you telling yourself you don't have to deal with this 
and starting to shift your head up. Like I'd even said earlier, when my head was down and I was being negative about things, I continued to get more of that. So even making that shift to go, all right, well, what's the positive thing here? What's a happy thing? What's something silly or what have you? So I think things like journaling and meditating have changed the game for me when it comes to that sort of stuff. I meditate first time, uh, first thing in the morning, but not every morning because I'm still human and stuff happens. But I know my days look different when I do that because I prime myself. I get into that and I'm actually ready to go instead of just instantly going, all right, Facebook, show me things, mm-hmm. you know, and just instantly having trash come in. It's, it's about being mindful of what's coming in and what we're doing with it, but at least shifting and going, okay, what happened today that was great? What was good? What was a win from today? And starting to just shift that direction, I think you'll then start to kind of look through and in that gray area, be able to understand that you know, there's some stuff that you can do. You can do on your own. Like you don't need other people for everything. You need counselors or mentors or coaches to be able to give you processes and things to do. But yo, you got to do the work. <clears throat> like the work is on you to do, no matter what. And sometimes and, and I think that the frustration. With, mm-hmm. Well, I said that the frustration with clients too. Like just yeah. in terms of um, getting through their own. This is this is the actually the biggest hill to climb when it comes to clients. Is lots of uh, really great ideas, lots of really great um, uh, um, knowledge behind what they're experts in, but the inability to get past their own anxieties when it comes to being either front facing or worrying about what other people will think. And that's a lot of times the biggest part of the job for me when it comes to um, consultation, brand strategy, consultation, or even creative consulting. Mm -hmm. It's managing the person and the psychology and the stories behind that, you know, because those people add them right in the mix of this conversation. They probably go through the same thing where they're like, am I good enough for this? Should I be doing this? Is this the right thing to do? And in some ways we've got to be, um, you know, like little kids and just kind of move through stuff and be present and be in the moment. You also have to be planned and thoughtful. So there's balance. You know, I think it's, again, it gets back to you figuring out what you are at your core. Are you naturally erratic? Maybe there are people out there that like, that's, that's the vibe they live at constantly is like, they're constantly spazzy. I don't know. I don't know any of those people, but I know people that tend to get into that spot. Yeah. And some of that is a, um, it's a defense, you know, like, I'm not sure what to do, but I I know I can go this route. I can do this. And you gotta be, you gotta be mindful of your own cues. I think something that I, I think I'm aware of now in my later thirties that I wasn't aware of even in my later twenties was that awareness of who I am because I had no idea what I was or what was going on because there were things that were further in the back that happened as a kid that I hadn't dealt with. So until you actually deal with that, that little kid inside that's hurting from whatever trauma happened as a child, you're not going to actually be able to get past and into the teen years or the, you know, where you're currently at to figure out, well, how do I do the thing that I'm doing now? So even those people are our clients, the people that we work with, they go through that stuff too. And it's about managing, managing the expectations with them. But I think it's also about being, uh, being able to have that candor where you can speak frankly 
and authentically because it's coming from a place of love. Yeah. And I think if you have that and people understand that about you, then you say what you got to say because you're not ever saying anything to trash somebody, you know? Yeah. So speaking of or thinking about your um, what you're trying to do when it comes to self-mastery for men, what anxieties have you seen uh, and observed within uh, men and in larger part our culture where you see a need to really focus on uh, confidence, self-mastery for men? Well, you just said one of them, confidence. That's one of the biggest things. I think confidence stems from clarity and being able to understand something and a space that you're in. Like think about when you have a conversation with a client, if you know exactly what you're talking about, that's wildly different than like, I kind of have an idea. I don't really know how to get it past you or whatever. It's wildly different. So I think having confidence and being able to um, understand at the core of who somebody is, is a big thing that a lot of men deal with. They don't know who they are. Because some people will look up and they've been married for 15 years and they have a couple kids and they're in a job they thought they were going to be in for six months while they were in between careers. What? So at that point, who are they? And they got to figure that stuff out. Yeah. Or somebody that's younger and goes, well, I don't really know what I want to do, but I know I really enjoy art or I really enjoy this thing. But how do I do that? And how do I do it in a way that fulfills me? So, no, those are great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it major points are confidence and clarity. Um, and that comes through, I've got different processes that I take clients through that I take myself through to be able to understand what that needs to look like, because it all looks different to everybody. My you, life is you different walk than us yours. That a little bit, just, um, you know, you don't have to go into super duper secret sauce. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm wondering what that looks like. You know, somebody that say I am a, uh, I'm a 34 year old, um, senior designer at a tech company. And, um, you know, I'm really unhappy with the direction that we're going when it comes to privacy, when it comes to what we allow on our platform for, um, super polarizing discourse, but, you know, I'm being paid. Okay. I feel stability, but I'm having extreme heartburn every week, you know, from this job. And, you know, it's, it's, it's affecting my weight. It's affecting, um, you know, my relationships. Um, I, I want to grow. I want to do some other types of things, but I'm really scared and nervous because, um, I don't want to fall back and pay or something like that. Be, if that, even if that it might be required for me to grow to another level of my career. I know I gave a long lead in, but <laughs> which is beautiful. Thank you. I mean, there's so much information within that and substance to it. <clears throat> it all starts with awareness, no matter what you've got to start with awareness and start to really put together an inventory of what the things are, what the problems are, what the topics are. So I think of like a mind dump. I don't know if you've ever done one of these where you just go, Absolutely. I've got so much stuff in my head, just get it out. But the, a mentor that. of mine was very helpful. Uh, he did that with me. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's an amazing thing. So being aware, and there's certain ways to become aware and different kind of practices and stuff that you can get into. Again, my meditation and journaling will help with a lot of that. Because once you start to ask those questions, more things will come up. As you're able to tap in your intuition, it's trying to share with you things. You're just the stupid human in its way. And I'm speaking of myself where I'm like, I'm just trying to get out of the way. Just kind of give me the, give me the juice here. 
Um, but being aware, taking inventory, and then from there actually doing a deep dive and going in and fixing the trauma, understanding what happened, going through it, watching the movie, but not being a part of the movie. So I think there's a difference because we think of the dumb stuff or the crazy stuff or the traumatic and terrible things that happened to us as a kid or middle school or high school or whatever. And we don't want to go back there because it's so painful. You don't have to go back there. You just need to watch it and glean from it what actually happened. So we watch enough screens throughout the day that you're literally watching an internal screen at that point. So I think even just understanding that, and I help clients get past that to be able to understand that you don't have to be in it. In fact, you should not begin. If you go back and you're in it, get out. Like you, you don't want to be stuck in that spot, but you do want to watch from uh, the side, be a third party and start to do some of that questioning from there to be able to take inventory and be aware of those things and then start to move through that. So once you're able to do that deep dive and come back, come back out with a mind dump of these are the things, these are the main core things. And then we start to kind of go through those one by one by one and attack them in the right way that we need to. And I say attack because, yo, you have the power. It's your power to be able to do it. And Cliff, you've got it. Your audience has it. We all have the power internally, but we've got to have that confidence to be able to turn it on. Just like when you have conversations with somebody or you're in some situation that you're confident in, you're like a su superhero almost because you stand up, your chest is popped out because you're confident. You know your stuff in that sense. If you don't know your stuff mm -hmm. and what happened when you were younger and that trauma is still there, that hurt little kid is still pulling on everything else you do. So being able to go back through those and fix those things, or at least be mindful of those, aware of those, of what actually happened, what the real story was, and then changing the story to it. Because the story of what happened when you were that kid and didn't understand, un didn't understand the things that you understand now, when you're able to go back to that, understanding where you're at now, you look at it differently. And then being able to take that into the next thing. And you see how there's a domino effect at that point. And as Absolutely. we, as we go through and fix those, then we're able to step further into where you're actually at and what you want to do, you know? No, that was, that was great because that is basically the process that I went through for about, uh, I want to say five or six years. It took, it took a while. I mean, first was, um, the part that you were saying where it's kind of acknowledging, uh, I guess the hurt child within and how to identify certain markers or even triggers that you might have mm -hmm. when you know that hurt child is kind of pricked and then later down the line it was uh when i found the mentor was doing the brain dump around career and what i wanted for my life and kind of going through each individual thing and him being able to organize help me organize what exactly it is I, I cared about and how I saw m I wanted to see myself within my immediate future and to have somebody um, kind of as a, as a partner in that. Well, I mean, the thing that helped give me confidence uh, by itself, just for the fact that I could understand my shit and be able to um, try to path forward. And that's, the, that's even before getting to like, you know, like, like maybe, buying a course or something and mm -hmm. and whatever it is I want to learn or even getting a job in whatever future profession that I want a job in. You know, I think 
it, it is like how you said with a video game, because you just kind of you have to go level by level. Sometimes you can skip, but for most of us, you're going to have to go mm-hmm. level by level. And I guess in a certain sense, that's the looking back, that's the way to make it the most fun is to kind of go journey. level by level. Yeah. Yeah. It's the journey at that point, you know, and we all want that prize at the end of it. And we think the prize is one thing, but as you go through it, the price changes. And it truly is about the journey because these moments that happen in between continue to build upon each other and allow you to actually put things together that look wildly different than it would have if you didn't have that information, if you didn't have that understanding in yourself. You know, and like you'd said about having a mentor that walked you through that, <clears throat> that's huge because when you have that and you're able to walk through what some of those things were that you dealt with as a kid, and then from there, being able to take those and spin those into what you want to do as you continue to evolve and grow mm-hmm. and how you can use those things, the, the fire that you can get from those, the energy that you can get from those, the forgiveness that you can feel and the gratitude that you feel for certain things because you're able to just be finished with them and then move along. That'll also kind of spur things up. So to kind of go through when, when you have all of that stuff put together, you have all your stuff that you've gone through and you've got it in front of you. It's not a matter of going through it and just trying to eat everything all at once. You got to take bit by bit by bit to then be able to step up and go, well, what, what is it about this thing and allowing time to go through it. So I, I think typically, typically I'm going to work with clients for a couple of months. Uh, there are programs that I take them through that are customized specifically to them that along the lines of what I'm talking about, custom for them and how they work and how they live. Uh, And it really boils down to the amount of time that they're able to get stuff done. So think about clients that we work with. You know, I I know when I give clients on the creative side of the business that I work with, we'll give them 24 or 48 hours to review something and get back to us. Sometimes that 24 to 48 doesn't really work when you're talking about psychology. Mm -hmm. So no, that 24 to 48, they're on be, their own time, you know, yeah, it might be a couple You're of on your own time. <laughs> yeah. It might be a couple of days. No, but there are also different uh, things that you can do at that point, activities and, and things that you can change your habits within a couple of days. I, I truly believe that it's a matter of actually setting the intention to be able to do it and having the why and the reasoning behind it, and the people around you and the process to be able to help all that stuff's got to come together. Again, sort of like that video game. If if you had the video game in front of you, but you didn't have the controller, you're not gonna not gonna be able to go anywhere, you know. And I think a lot of people sense are like, I love these games, but uh, really wish I could play it because they don't have so, a controller. Question for you: I wonder if um, and and you probably in a sense already answered this, but if you could think of three things that um, creatives uh, deal with that, or things that they need to drop that would kind of speed up or or um that would help the process along when it comes to their growth if there's like three kind of bullet points that you could give for that growth you know they're stuck they need a a couple path uh, three pathways to get them on that road to to growth that's a great question cliff um i i think the first thing is understanding who they are at stasis what are you naturally what state are you normally in? Like if all things are great, you're totally fine. Are you joyous? Are you content? Are you meek? Are you energy driven? You no, know, what state are you naturally in? 
and figuring out how you can get to the point where you can become aware of that state when you're not in it. Because I think that can help you in meetings. It can help you in conversations. Mm -hmm. It can help you internally. Because if you're dissonant and you don't do anything about it, then you go into that meeting and you snip at somebody for no reason mm -hmm. because you're just irritated about something that happened earlier because mm -hmm. you haven't dealt with it or what have you. So being mindful of your natural state and really working on your awareness of how you become aware of, hey, I'm, I'm dissonant right now. Uh, I, I've, <laughs> I've done the geeky thing before where I've set up little uh, reminders on my calendar to ping me every couple hours. Mm -hmm. It was annoying as hell, um, but I think it got the point across, you know? No, listen, I, to, I use that all the time. I, like, that, I need that to, to be kind of like my, my, my assistant because otherwise it's just going to go into um, the background with all the 20 million other things. But no, but that was a, yeah. uh, that's a great suggestion. Um, so two more, if you can think of a couple more. Sure. Uh, so doing a mind dump of where you're at and what things have happened when you were younger. So I'm going to, these two are going to be a, a pre and a post. Mm -hmm. So the first one's going to be a mind dump of where you're currently at and what mm -hmm. happened in the past. Um, view those things. Mm -hmm. Go back to the trauma. Don't be part of the trauma, but call it out. Write it out on paper. Mm -hmm. Get it out there and actually write it out. Mm -hmm. What you don't have to go into detail because I know we all have gone through different traumas, but put something down that you or you know your audience is aware of. And you guys get what that is. And then the next step to that, that post to that, is figuring out what do you actually want life to look like? Because there's a gray area in between those where you can see what is holding you back and what you want. And you can kind of reverse engineer to figure out the way to be able to get it. And it's all about the journey. It's not having that end result because I hope that the end result that you create, put on that piece of paper, I hope it looks wildly different when you actually get it because it should. No, that's beautiful. Um, I think those are three, three things that are highly actionable that very much can set people on a path to um, progression in whatever that looks like for them. You know, obviously we don't all have the same type of goals and we don't all, all want to get to the same place, but we all want to be able to have forward movement. So I think those are three ways to just get people kickstarted. Um, I think this conversation wouldn't be completed without um, talking about our hustle obsessed capitalist, capitalist culture and how it plays a part in the struggles that men have and and by extension every everybody else as well but since you know your practice focuses on men i'm i'm gonna focus on that too but like how do you how do men seek some type of separation i want to say from that hustle culture that has in many ways been detrimental to mental and physical health while still very much being encapsulated within um, a capitalist culture. So it's kind of, it's kind of like going back to the re religious analogy, being part of the world, but not of the world. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, totally. But we, we are part of the world and I subscribe to that side of life, you know, and the faith side. And I understand that we all have a lot of stuff that's coming at us so fast, so much information, <clears throat> so many different images, 
so many different visuals, so many different stories that are conjured up stories. You look at somebody's Instagram photo and just make believe whatever crazy awesome story that we want. We're really, they're just on the side of a Taco Bell or something stupid, you know? Um, and I think it, at that point, we have to understand that it's, it's not about those things that are outside, it's about us. And that again, gets back to journaling and meditating. So I think one of the biggest things that I really talk to my clients, friends, family, myself about is being able to stick within your own head understand what things um, are really a problem and what things aren't and being able to call back your own energy because there's energy we give out. There's a lot of energy we give to things. Even if you look at something on social media and you give energy to that because you've created some story, pull that back. Like You don't need to do that. Stop thumbing through Facebook. Stop thumbing through whatever it is. And it's so easy to do it because little dopamine hits. So I, I think for men to be able to really set themselves off on the right path in the beginning of the day is huge. I think some people try to, at the end of the day, just relax and recharge and all of that, but they forget in the beginning of the day, you don't just wake up and jump directly head first in the shit. Like you've got to figure out what's going on and you got to set yourself right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I talk to different men that are like, well, you know, I've got a wife and I've got kids and I got to be at my job by this time and I got to do this and I got to do that. And it's time management at that point mm -hmm. of being able to spend 15 minutes or 10 minutes or a couple of minutes having a journal that's next to your bed just to be able to write out, you know, your thoughts when you woke up in the morning, what you're grateful for in the morning, what your goals are for the day, just a couple of things, what your intentions are, something like that. Start off bit by bit by bit. But being able to have that time for themselves, I think a lot of men don't do that. Uh, no, or if I they do, it's, I hear you. I think it's time for them just playing on the like, phone. Uh, when, you, when you work out and before you get into the, the heart of it, you do a warm up because, mm -hmm. you know, your body's kind of stiff. It, has, it hasn't been moving. So instead of, instead of going right into it and mm -hmm. potentially um, pushing yourself in a way where you might risk injury, you do a, a less intense uh, warm up and then that'll get you ready for the meat of whatever your workout is or whatever uh, team sport or whatever it is you're trying to play. And then after you have your cool down, you know, and maybe mm -hmm. it's a good way to kind of look at, look at, look yeah. at it in that way as a, as you were explaining how you feel men should, you know, have a nice lead up to when they get into the heart and the meat of uh, uh, their day. Cause I know for me um, it's, it's almost, I don't want to say quantifiable, but um I look at my day as I know if I don't start it right, it's going to take some work to really get to that point where I am able to have that flow within the day where I'm able to kind of catch that jet stream um, because I don't, once I built up that habit of, all right, I've got up, I've done, I've done this, I've meditated, I've journaled, I've made the bed, all that stuff. Um, I got my coffee because I've had those small accomplishments. Like I know my day is going to go pretty good for the most part. Like it's 75 to 80% likely that it's going to go really well. When I just jump out of bed and it's Instagram and Facebook, the day might be kind of rough. It might it turn really rough. And after that, it's, it's definitely going to mean some whiskey at the end of the day. And not <laughs> to say that it, you know, having whiskey at the end of the day is fine, but you know, you just don't want it to, to become a crutch for some type of, uh, solace after a tough tough day yeah it shouldn't drive you to it like god i need a drink <laughs> <clears throat> you know it's a great point Cliff, about the uh 
about the workout. You know, there, I'm sure there are men and women that listen to the podcast that do, they work out. They have a couple of times a week where they work out. I'm sure some of them work out almost every day, uh, but they're also the people that don't work out. So even being mindful of the little sections of time that you give yourself, the time that you take to thumb through Facebook on break or doing something, it's the discipline at that point. The awareness is what it starts with to go, hey, maybe I need to just meditate real quick or do something. Again, I, I find it sort of easier to do it in the morning because you don't have anything else that's going on. Like if you just woke up, you've gone to the bathroom and then you're standing there. You got to do something next. So if you can make that the thing, even if it's a couple minutes. So some people I talk to about meditation and I'm not trying to sound like a yogi or anything of the sort, like pushing it. It's about being mindful and having that state of clarity to start you off and to prime you for the workout, which is the rest of the day. Some people, when I talk to them about it, they think, well, what do you sit in a room for like two hours, three hours a day, just meditating? Like, you, no, no, I, I probably should, but no, you know, like, no, realistically, that's kind of nuts. I, I personally like to do a 15 to 30 minute if I, if I can really do it. It's a battle of being able to get back to just my breathing and just that clarity. But for the most part in the mornings, I'm going to do a five to 10 minute med meditation because you can just breathe in and out a couple of times mm -hmm. and get to that clarity state. It's a matter of sticking to it and just flexing that muscle a bit. And in the morning, I think that can help. Well, absolutely. And the, the, the results of that steady, consistent practice, a lot of times isn't the way most of us think about uh, accomplishment or results. I think that's a lot of trouble that people have that I, I've had myself in the past. It's like, um, you know, uh, I'll go into it or I've in the past gone into it wanting a particular thing out of it. But I guess the beauty of it is the results, the um, what you gain from it. A lot of times it's not something that you can just kind of consciously seek on one level. You can hope that you get there, but it kind of sends its blessings when, um, when your mind has had, has had time to make those connections, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially for me, when it comes to um, the kind of the slowing down of racing thoughts, and normally for me, it happens when uh, I, I least expect it. You know, I'll just I'll, I'll be doing something or sitting somewhere, or maybe even in, in conversation. And then in a split second, I'll notice uh, just being absolutely present in a way that either in the past I hadn't had or those moments when you're a little kid that you forget about when you're just sitting in the woods staring up at the sky or something like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and think about what that gets back to. It's awareness. And in that moment, being aware of that. So, you know, the meditation, I think it, it, it's all about finding that peace and clarity and just slowing yourself down. If we instantly wake up, start shoving things into our machine, then it's going to be a rough go of it. But if we're able to actually slow down, start the morning off right, prime the machine right, and then work it the right way and be mindful of it throughout the day, then yeah, at the end of the day, that scotch or that whiskey or that vodka or wine or whatever tastes better and it's oh, yeah. smoother because it's, it's a it's kind of a happy at the end of the day instead of a 
unnecessary that you're like it's reward reward versus uh, some type of like you said necessity yeah or numbing (laughs) you're like it's been rough yeah yeah so before we get off i'd I'd love to read something that i saw you posted on the self-mastery facebook group and check that out guys when you get a chance uh what's the name of the group again men's mindset and self-mastery facebook group great so you can just search it in all the facebook groups great Um, so one of the posts said, uh, certain situations make us feel like our hands are tied, but the restraints are always in our heads. We must learn to accept the situation as it is, but remember not to confuse acceptance with, uh, passive passivity. So I wonder if you could just go into that a little bit before we get off. Yeah. Yeah. If we, if we think back to the hurt little kid that's inside of all of us, because something happened even if it wasn't a major atrocity or some crazy trauma, something happened that has affected you the way that you are now as an adult. If you think back to those things, I, too, I truly believe that things happened for us and not to us. So it's that. It's being able to look at those things that had happened, understand that what happened happened, and take the info that you can get from it and move along. And you don't always have to, um, you don't have to make it okay for what happened. It's about seeing that movie. And if you go back and you watch it, like, uh, I don't think of Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, and being able to see those things, the third party perspective and going back and witnessing that. You don't have to agree with what happened, but you can still acknowledge what happened and then you can move along from it. Um, so being able to be mindful of that. Well, that's a really great point because. Uh, on another level, I want to make sure that I'm communicating to listeners that might be um, either uh, folks of color that have gone through certain experiences in, the, in their lives or people that have had maybe traumatic, violent events that have happened in their lives or a lot of things that aren't in control. You know, like when I was a kid and having a um, unjust run in with police, like I couldn't um, I couldn't control how that happened, but also acknowledging that you know, our reality is a multi-layered existence. And on one level, like you said, acknowledging that that it, that it happened. On another level, um, figuring out some type of way to be able to move forward in which you do have some level of control as opposed to waiting for, for something to happen. You know, like it's because I feel like on, on a certain level that to hand over your piece to somebody else is just something that isn't going to bring forward the fruits or, or results that you're looking for. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it's on us to be able to decide that, you know, and we decide that in every moment. So you decide how you allow people to treat you and you also decide how you allow to treat yourself. It's easier for you to say to somebody like, Hey, stop than it is to actually do it to yourself. Because for the most part, we're in here, you know? So we don't see it and we don't feel it as bad as it may be. But it again, I think it gets back to understanding who we are to uh, our natural state. And when we're dissonant of that, being aware of it. So you can see the pattern here, right? You know, getting back to that core of it and being calm and clear to go, well, what is this really? And what do I want? So even with that passivity, like, shouldn't be passive about it mm-hmm. but you should understand that it happened and it happened you can move along from it 
whatever that looks like. Um, but it takes awareness and takes uh, self-discipline to be able to do it. And I think that's where having coaches, mentors, friends that you trust, that you can confide in, that you can talk to, um, you know, any way that you can get that help to be able to have those conversations. And the way it is for me, and I'm sure it's the same for you, it comes in different forms. You know, your audience is probably the same. They have different people that they align with and they click with and they can grow with and others that they look to that they align with, click with, and they want help to be able to grow. You know, that's where you can hire a coach or uh, be able to find a mentor or somebody that's doing what you want um, that can help you in, in that sense. But it, it comes down to you doing the work is what it boils down to. And again, I want to reiterate that it's, you know, not about being passive or accepting the unjust. It's about trying to find peace in this very complicated and crazy world that we live in. Yeah. And taking out taking that higher approach of being able to lift your head from that bad situation and say, well, how do we move forward better? You know, I think of uh, one of my heroes is my grandfather. And, and I love that man to death. And he's done a lot of great things. And my dad is up there too. There's a lot of things I've learned from my parents that are good things. And there are things of like what not to do. Yeah. Just like I'm sure when I have kids at some point, they're going to be like, yo, dad, you were cool. This, yeah. this was weird or, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, and I think we look at different people in different ways. It's, you've got to be able to take that and figure out what works for you and put it to use. Great. And that will be the last word if we're just on about an hour and 10. So I think this would be a good place to stop. Uh, thank you, Nick, so much for hanging out with, with me for a few minutes. This was the talk I was hoping for. And I think I'm going to have fun going back and editing this uh, to get ready to put out. So uh, before we go, um, if you want to uh, let know, let folks know how they can get in contact with you and if you want to highlight anything that should they should be paying attention to, um, where they should follow you, all that good stuff. Sure. So first off, I need to applaud you, my friend. This has been wonderful. Thank you for the invite. I've listened to many other podcasts you've done. You're stellar at what you do. Oh, thank Keep you, man. I appreciate it. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate you. Uh, I'm sure your audience appreciates you. Uh, and I, I'm just excited to see what's going to happen over the course of the next couple of years. You're doing great things. And thanks for allowing me to be a friend of yours, to be, be here in, in some capacity with it. Of course, of course. Thank you so much for hopping on. Yeah, absolutely, man. So you'd mentioned earlier about the Facebook group, the Men's Mindset and Self Mastery Facebook group. Again, you just go to the Facebook groups and just search Men's Mindset Self Mastery. Um, and you can also go to my website, nickmcgowan.com. It's N-I-C-K-M-C-G-O-W-A-N.com. That's got more information that can get you directly to the Facebook group, uh, some more information about we've worked together. And uh, I, I'm always open to doing a free clarity call. It's a 30 minute conversation to figure out where you're at, what you're about, and uh, see if there are ways that I may be able to help. So again, Cliff, I really appreciate you. Appreciate your audience. Uh, thank you all for listening. All right. Thanks so much, Nick. And you have a great evening and peace. You can find the Creators Life podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and Spotify.